when I was in Guantanamo, I came across this dish. Uh, this dish is called uh, Moros y Cristianos, uh, which, which in Spanish means uh, Muslims and Christians. The dish is actually black beans and rice. And you can, you, can, uh, you can assume that the Muslims are not the rice. Um, so the point of this is that the conquistadors, the crusaders, and those who were fighting Muslims and Islam at that time, though they would have been fighting Muslims of all hues and all colors, regarded Muslims as black. Very black, you know, very, quote, to, to, uh, excuse the pun, in a very black and white way. Yeah. And the point of this was to say that the rise of the far right uh, and ultranationalism doesn't really care what color you are, as long as you're a Muslim. Mm. If you're a Muslim, they don't care if you're white. You could be Caucasian. You know, the, the name Caucasian means white in the Western world, but the Caucasus are dominated by Muslims. Muslims. <laughs> right? That's the irony. Yeah. So they don't fit. They won't fit the the, the label of white. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh brothers sisters and friends and welcome to this uh, lockdown uh, Islam 2020 unscripted podcast today uh, we're going to be talking with two special guests about a very important and a very tragic subject uh, it is indeed 25 years since the uh, tragic uh, Srebrenica uh, massacre uh, the genocide that happened during the the Bosnian war uh, we have with us today uh, the uh, enemy combatant himself, so to speak, uh, Brother Mazen Beg, and also the historian and good friend of ours, Sheikh Dr. Uthman Latif. Assalamu alaikum, brothers. Very thank you. Thank you very much for uh, joining us um, to discuss this uh, important somber topic. Um, I wanted just to start us off with a bit of um, just a personal message, personal kind of story. Where, you know, when when the when the Srebrenica massacre happened. Uh, where were you and, and, and what was your response, Muazzam? Um, from the years of 90, from late 93 until uh, 96, I was in and out of Bosnia multiple times. So mm. when the massacre mm. happened, uh, I just left Bosnia. Um, and one of the things that, of course, was going on around that time uh, is that I had joined an aid uh, an aid convoy and went with it multiple times from Britain uh, and drove over to Bosnia. And uh, during the period of, of 1994, I joined for a short period of time the uh, Armia Bosanska, uh, which is the third corpus of the Armia Bosanska, which was effectively known as the Mujahideen. Mm. Um, the reason why that was was because in Britain I had seen um, uh, the videos that were called the massacres in Bosnia and Croatia that had been filmed by a brotherhood gone to, from uh, Leicester and had shown some very horrific footage about what was taking place there. We'd known by this time, and uh, we're learning about the mass rape camps. We knew of the uh, concentration camps in Omaska and Banja Luka and some of the other places mm-hmm. and that the ethnic cleansing was already taking place. Um, so all of the, ba- this is all the backdrop to before what happened um, in, uh, in, in uh, Srebrenica and of course there was another place called Gorazda where there were also uh, uh, massacres taking place uh, so Srebrenica was kind of the last straw as it were before uh, intervention really came in in the way that it um, that it finally brought an end to the war uh, but my experience was and one of the things that I found particularly disturbing wasn't the fact of what the Serbs had done 
it was that they had done it under the presence mm. and presence of United Nations troops um, that had come from all over the world. This wasn't just uh, British, Dutch, Canadians, Belgians who were all there. Uh, there were Pakistanis, there were Bangladeshis, there were Turks, there were Malaysians. And I know I sat with them and spoke with them and talked to them. And they, they were there armed to the teeth in the United Nations helmets and vehicles and their white uh, vehicles that had been painted mm. with signs on. They had armored personnel carriers, they had tanks, they had uh, helicopters, some had planes, and they were literally sitting and watching. And of course, if anything we know from the story of Srebrenica that we can talk about later, is that the role specifically of the Dutch United Nations in that massacre. So I, I will never forget uh, Srebrenica as long as I live. Mm-hmm. I do want to get into some of those points, but uh, Osman, wh- where, where were you when you when you heard about this uh, this massacre? And how did you yeah, know? so Bismillah, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. Um, yeah, I was in school, in fact. I was in secondary mm. school uh, in those years from 1994, 1998. Uh, but my first vivid memory of, of, uh, of the horrors of, of the genocide of Bosnia really came from demonstrations outside mosques that people would gather sometimes outside mosques and have, uh, you know, posters of uh, showing images of the victims of the genocide. Uh, people would, of course, uh, sometimes collect and fundraise for funds to help those who are victims in the genocide. Uh, that was my first memory. But then growing up, I think in the 19, late 19, like 1997, 1998, mm. uh, uh, there was a lot of videos that were around about the, the horrors of the genocide. And I think it, of course, affects you very much as a human being. Um, I think one of the things, of course, about about um, about genocide, uh, it's kind of like the the ultimate blemish, the ultimate stain uh, on on human history. You know, it's like the it's like the shame on humanity. And remember, of course, in the Quran, when Allah speaks about the uh, angels when they're discussing with Allah, and Allah says, "I've made created Adam." And they said to Allah, "Taj'aluna fiha You know, you're creating somebody who's going to spill blood on the earth. Mm. Uh, this is like, you know, this, the, the the spilling not just of blood, but it's the the genocide of Bosnia. It's like a representation of the most heinous of of human atrocity, of the mass rape of a people, of the uh, you know, of the um, of the victimization, to about the the barbarity involved in the genocide of killing, of of, of rape, of sexual crime, of expulsion from mm. the land, all of these things together. And so I think growing up, uh, you know, in my in my late teens, mid and late teens, I think had a profound effect on my sense of consciousness. Things I write about later, of course, I could go back to that time and think, what were my feelings at that mm. time? Uh, but of course, I, I don't have the, you know, I mean, of course, Muslim, he, he lived through that experience in a more in a more kind of uh, pronounced or profound way than I did. But I think that I think that there is something about injustice that um, that seeps into our our human collective consciousness anyway. I think that, uh, you know, the the uh, the accounts reading about. Uh, the suffering, reading memoirs, I think, watching videos, all of these things have an effect. Uh, you've got a yeah. chapter on this in one of your books, right? Yeah, I have quite a few things. So my recent book on being human, of course, mm-hmm. has a section on, on, on Bosnia. Even my, my upcoming book uh, as well has a section on Bosnia. Uh, but I think there's the whole point about the fact that we're, we're human 
means we have human uh, codes of recognizability. Mm. And the fact that, you know, you as a father then perhaps in a more, in a more, um, what could you call it, like a more elaborate way maybe, could, uh, could uh, relate to uh, what it meant to be a father, you know, who loses a son or a daughter, for example, yeah. uh, or you as a mother or you as, you know, as a child of, of, of parents. So I think we go through these as human beings, you know, in, in, in the course of a life. Uh, but I think that when it comes to the victimization of a people, you, you, you're going to see, as Muslim was saying about the fact that there were people who were bystanders and indifferent, mm. Um, mm. you know, in, in the course of a human, in, in, a hu- in the psychology of genocide, you're going to find groups of people that emerge, you will find the, the perpetrators, you will, you'll find the victims, you'll find the bystanders, and you also find the rescuers. And the rescuers really is where we should be looking. Those are the ones who, who come to the aid and assistance of people who are suffering. Uh, but the, 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 the theme of bystanding is quite important for me in terms of what I write about, uh, understanding what is the, you know, what is the impetus that would drive people to become indifferent towards another people's suffering when, when we're supposed to, um, you know, be able to relate to these conventions, or you might call these human codes of recognizability, mm-hmm. in the fact that if you're if you're if you see somebody suffering, then you could you could impart and relate to it uh, in in very small part. Although no human experience is exactly the same, so you can't understand what it was like to be in Srebrenica, for example. Uh, but you do know what it is like in a very small way to experience fear, for example, to experience. Uh, you know, death, for example, uh, and these are supposed to just awaken the human spirit and consciousness. So, Salam, guys. Sorry to butt in, eh? but if you're enjoying this podcast, please head over to islamtunc.com forward slash donate to help us make more. And if you're not enjoying it, head over anyway and help us make better ones. Oh, no, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm 34 years old, uh, so I was like nine. When this happened, and even younger when the the conflict started, so I don't recall firsthand kind of seeing the news and that kind of stuff. All of the stuff I've heard about from you know growing up is from from you know uh, people like Muslim who've been there, people you know uh, telling the stories that that they came across. I mean, and there's obviously I'm not like young exactly young anymore, right? So there's a huge number of uh, brothers and sisters who. They've grown up hearing bits and pieces about this, you know. And whenever Muslim, whenever you'll talk about, it, you'll mention bits, th- things here and there, you know, like the UN troops and everyone was there and and so forth. And we'll we'll mention, you know, names like Yugoslavia and and Serb, Serbian and that kind of stuff. How would you just kind of summarize what actually happened uh, in a very kind of succinct way for someone younger than myself, for example, who has who didn't have that um, that kind of historical or first-hand background? Okay, so one of the things for the background is really important for us as Muslims and for the world in general. Mm-hmm. That at the time, or, or j- just before the, the, the conflict in Yugoslavia, the country Yugoslavia, uh, prior to that, the two strongest powers in the world were the United States of America and the Soviet Union. Nobody remembers the Soviet Union anymore uh, very much. They just call it Russia. But it was Russia was simply the largest place within the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union fell apart primarily because of the defeat in Afghanistan at the hands of the Mujahideen. And when that started to slowly but surely disintegrate, all of these countries that were connected to the Soviet Union, uh, whether it was part of the Warsaw, Warsaw Pact countries or the Central Asian Republic mm. or the uh, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, 
Kazakhstan, started to seek uh, separation and independence. Um, simultaneously, other countries, and one of them, Yugoslavia, started to break up, and the uh, various parties, whether it was Serbia, Croatia, Slova uh, Slovenia, Slovakia, uh, mm -hmm. sorry, Slovenia, uh, sought independence from the uh, Yugoslav Republic. And the main player in that was Serbia, which was the capital, was, was Belgrade. And they started to attack, first of all, uh, the Slovenians and then the Croatians and, crucially, then the Bosnians. The difference was, and people really need to understand this, that Bosnia itself, Bosnia and Herzegovina, is an area uh, that borders two different countries or modern countries, and those countries are Serbia and uh, Croatia. Mm -hmm. So the Bosnian Serbs always had the support of Serbia proper. The Bosnian Croats had the support of Croatia proper. The Bosnian Muslims had the support of nobody but Allah. Mm. And so this was one thing that we need to remember. Historically speaking, the Bosnians are there, are, 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 uh, came or became, uh, uh, remained there as a result of the Ottomans entering that region. And that during the communist period of, under Marshal Tito, it was okay, it was kept together. Nobody's real ethnic or religious identities really came to the fore. When the communism went, everybody uh, tried to reassert their identities and so forth. And ancient yeah. uh, chasms, ancient wars that had taken place uh, against the Ottomans now rose up. And during the, uh, the, the cancer of extreme nationalism that, uh, this, that was employed by the Serbs, mm. uh, they were allowed first to start, against, as I said, against the, the Slovenians then the Croats, and then crucially, more crucially than anybody else, the Muslims. And I just want to say that for the, for the modern context, two things, it's really important that we understand this today. When we talk about Islamophobia today, um, we must remember and remind people that what's, what's happening to us as Muslims in Western Europe is unprecedented in terms of European laws. In Europe, the biggest massacre, the biggest genocide that happened after World War II has been against Europe's indigenous Muslim population. And you don't get more Islamophobic than genocide. Mm. And we've got to remind people this, that this is, this is where we live, this is where we exist right now, and that the shadow of Bosnia uh, still uh, rears its ugly head over parts of Eastern Europe. When Brenton Tarrant, who's the, the guy who walked into the Masajid in Christchurch uh, mm. and shot 52 people dead as they were praying, including children, he took aim and he was live streaming and he was listening, he had earphones, and he was listening to something. What he was listening to as he killed those children and, and men and women as they prayed in the masjid, he was listening to Serbian nationalist songs. Now, he's a white uh, Australian, non-Serbian, non-Slavic person, but he was listening to Serbian nationalist songs that praised the war criminal, the indicted war criminal, uh, Radovan Karadzic, who was the president of the Bosnian, Serbian, uh, Bosnian Serbs. Mm -hmm. So he was... Um, listening to Serbian nationalist songs that praised him. And think about this in a world of color, in a world of color and racism and black and white and so forth, this racist looks at these white Slavic Muslims, but doesn't see white people. Yeah. The moment he, he puts the label of Islam upon them, they become anything but white. And it's important that we put it in that context so we recognize it's very strong link from, from Srebrenica, what happened in that mosque just last year so it's interesting you say that because you know the book this book that i wrote on being human how islam addresses othering dehumanization and empathy this was in fact written 
uh, as a result of uh, the uh, the attack last year in in, in Christchurch, New Zealand, Ira's idea. It was launched this year, in fact, in Christchurch, New Zealand, and we had the, the mayor of Christchurch attend the event and the book launch. Um, but one of the interesting things uh, in, about that is the fact that, as, as, as you were mentioning, Mazam, uh, in, in the psychology of, of, of genocide, there's going to be a, a whole process of dehumanization that takes place against the people. One thing is, if you look at it in a small way, we think about social anxieties, the fact that uh, you know, the, the Yugoslavia breaks up uh, and then, of course, Bosnia becomes this multi-ethnically kind of entrenched uh, place. Uh, social anxieties create a sense of, um, they entrench that sense of self and otherness, right? So here you have a place where people had been living together for centuries, Muslims, you know, Croats, the, the Christians, uh, without much incident. But, but the moment you have that sense of, of selfness, the, the, the binary distinctions between the self and the other are are exacerbated, are, are entrenched, are, are kind of made more. Uh, and that's what happens. So you, when you mentioned, for example, uh, what happened in, uh, I mean, this guy, Brenton Tarrant, um, it's interesting because in his text, the great, uh, the grand, what is the great manifestation, I think the name of his text, uh, he references uh, uh, Karadic, he also references Pope Urban II. I mean, he's appealing to the Crusades, appealing to mm. uh, that sense of dehumanizing language. Therefore, the, um, you know, the Muslims, the Bosnians were called Turks. You know, they were called Turks. Uh, he calls Muslims uh, vermin and, and rats and, and roaches, cockroaches. And it's almost like you're seeing them as an infestation that needs to be removed for the sake of your own survival. And that's really what genocide is predicated. It's predicated on this sense of uh, very entrenched sense of selfness, uh, and then creating that that real distance between yourself and the other. And it's very it's very disturbing that there's a pattern, you know, in human genocide. It's it's very it's very it's very sad. I mean, if in the accounts of of the of the victims who said that we we didn't expect that you know our 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 neighbors would do those kind of things to us our neighbors mm. shopkeepers you know people uh, uh friends that we knew and this just shows that therefore the, the great extent of um, of hate and what it produces uh it's interesting also these are people that were were, were um ethnically were, were, they looked the same right they look very yeah, similar true, true. to no, it's, it's very it's very true it's like for example in rwanda the hutus and the tutsis i mean they're mm. both they're both blacks, uh, Africans, you know. Uh, but the moment that kind of that the propaganda seeps into a nation's psyche, they'll see the other as an existential threat and affair. For example, when in, in the siege of Sarajevo, you had this um, one thing I referenced in my book also was the fact that on Belgrade TV, uh, they had this very uh, they had this account where they said that uh, Muslims are feeding Serbian children to lions in a zoo mm. right uh, on belgrade on the, on the national tv and this was watched by millions of people right and of course it was fictitious but it was just purpose to to really in, ingrain the sow this seed of uh, of hatred of fear against that uh, muslim other and um, and it, it's very it, it's very it's very disturbing of course but that's what happens you know in, in human genocide yeah um so uh, man explained how people started to say, you know, we were living together and all of a sudden they said, I'll tell you a little story, personal story. Well, two couple of stories that, that actually 
um, made me decide to go to Bosnia. And this was in 1993. So I met with, a, I'd met first of all with, in Birmingham, they brought many refugees who'd come over to Bosnia, Croats and Bosnians, but mostly Bosnian Muslims. Mm. And uh, they'd come to the mosque and I met one sister and she had lost her mind. And the Bosnian brothers who were with her told me she'd lost her mind because she'd been, she'd been gang raped by Serb soldiers. Mm. And a child was murdered in front of her. So that was already, if that wasn't enough, then I sat with his brother. I remember he was a graduate of Sarajevo University. And he was sitting and talking to me. His name was Samir, I remember day. As we're talking, he uh, very casually starts to scratch his leg. He rolls up his trouser leg and then he pulls his leg off because it's prosthetic. And we're talking and I'm a little bit shocked because I'm a lot younger. I mean, I'm in my 20, early 20s. And we continue to talk. He's, tries to explain. He's telling me exactly this thing that my, my neighbors used to be my best friends. And then within days, literally hours, they become enemies. And uh, as he's talking, he lifts up his other trouser leg and he pulls off his other, his other leg. Both of his legs, he's a double amputee uh, because of mines that were laid by his very countrymen uh, mm -hmm. that he used to live with. Um, and so this is like, to me, like a, a, um, a living personal example of those things of when people say they used to, we used to be together, we used to, they even said, you know, they one of the things you, you were, was very weird in Bosnia at that time, as somebody who started to practice Islam with a great deal of zeal of learning of the deen and so forth, um, you would go, I remember, I didn't know, hadn't memorized very much Quran then, but I, went, I was in Ramadan there. And they asked me to lead the Ramadan, the, the Salat of Taraweeh prayers, because the Imam, uh, one of the Imams they had, all he knew was about three or four um, uh, surahs from the Quran from the last two, the smallest ones. And mm -hmm. they would recite, Allah, Allah, Ahad. Allahu Akbar, and that's mm. one of them. Next one, Allahu Samad, Allah. mm. that's an entire rakat, because they didn't know. Uh, you could go to the, uh, the mosques would be full, for no doubt in, in Ramadan, but so would the bars. Mm. The bars would be full too. I remember the first person, that the first soldier, Bosnian soldier or Mujahid that I met, we just entered the city of Mostar, and Mostar has this beautiful Ottoman bridge that, that's over the river there, and that bridge had fallen into it to into, into itself because the serbs had bombed it and we as we went in you know imagine driving down the street and you can see every house every inch of every house has got a bullet hole in it uh, and those are the ones that haven't been hit by a rocket the minarets of the, the bosnian the architecture of the bosnian uh, uh, masajid is beautiful it's ottoman and so you know those thin slim rocket-like uh, mm. minarets and you see them they've been targeted they would target the minarets and then I saw one of the brothers, he showed me that here's a, a, a big church we're going past and there's a cross on there. And the brother told me that just a few weeks ago, there was a body of one of the brothers that had been hung up there uh, uh, to be crucified. I mean, this was a war of intense uh, hatred. And one of the people I came across, as I said, was making the point of the, it was how it was weird for us to see Muslims like this. This brother, I remember he said he's from the Zulfiqar unit, the Zulfiqar uh, unit. So I thought immediately, wow, these must be great fighters. And I'm, he's, he comes into our car and he's this broken Bosnian between us. Uh, and uh, he smells of alcohol. I can smell alcohol. And he's, mm. he's barely sober. But that's normal in Bosnia at that time. And these are the guys that are defending Islam. That's how... Uh, weird it was. So was the, 
So the, the the hatred that they 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 had for the Bosnians, they weren't necessarily because they were practicing Islam, because they weren't there wasn't yeah. that much practice of Islam. The name Mudovic or Begovic or is it Begovic? Is it Begovic? As you know, Ali Begovic spent a lot of time in prison simply for trying to find Islamic solutions to the government. Mm. But yeah, it was precisely that, and because as uh, Sheikh Uthman said, because they regarded them as Turks, they said you're not you're not really Bos you're not really ethnic Slavic people, which they are. So was it like a a, a, a a hatred that was just bubbling under the surface all those centuries, or was it something newly kindled? I don't think, I mean, I don't know enough about that history to, to, to be able to comment, but I would say that definitely the, the new kindling uh, was under the, the, the notion of we are Serb nationalists, we are an empire, we are an ancient people, and mm. the Turks came here. There was historically the famous battle at the field of blackbirds where some massacres took place, and they say that you are the inheritors of that, so now it is time for payback. Uh, it's like the kind of language that again Evan II was using in his uh, in his first crusade speech yeah. uh, about you know projecting the the Turks as savages as barbarians as an existential other. It's like you know when you when you think about uh, injustice against people, even like if you think like a mass killing um, or murder, even if if it's just a simple murder, what's happening is that on in our minds we have a mental canvas. And you know, the, you know, the, the canvas. If if we're if we're painting on that canvas with only wide brushes and only broad strokes, mm -hmm. and you're only using one color, for example, and you're disallowing, you know, finer grades of distinction and the nuances, then what you're going to have at the end of it is you're creating a beast. You know, you're creating your your own enemy, yeah. and what you're doing that you're imputing on the other your enemy. The worst that you inherently see in yourself, actually, I mean, that's a tragedy. <laughs> that's a loss of of humanity, and even within killing, because you're you're effacing part of your own self in in the effacing of another, you know. And uh, so it's a great tragedy, in fact, that these kind of things happen. But as Muslim as Muslim was saying, therefore, there's a there is a, a people's attempt to to you know re re reinvent or you might even say recycle you know things from the past as a justification for the horrors meted out against the people mm -hmm. in the present who could be very closely uh, connected to you through uh, social relationships but these things become less meaningful when you're hearing the voices of of uh, of you know selfness and national pride and it's also quite sad because if you look at the world now today for example that when you have this sense of um, you know uh, nationalism uh, and the what, sense what, of what lost glory yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, for example, look at the European nations like uh, Hungary, for example, Austria, Poland. You know, you find that when when this is used in in propaganda, there's more votes. People have more votes. They become yeah. more, more, more popular, Jingalism. and they like to hear the voice of my stuff. We are a proud nation, and so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, there was, of course. I mean, this. If you if you think, for example, about, and this is why you know, in in Bosnia, the the, the sad, the the damning thing in it's it's almost like. The, the really vile thing is the fact that in in Bosnia you have these Serbian uh, Serbian leaders like um, you know uh, the ones that Mozaradovic for example and and the the butcher of Bosnia um, Mladic I think his name was mm. who are celebrated these are like national heroes these are like legends in Bosnia and this is a person who who didn't just I mean he didn't just kill the people. You know, you have the whole thing about altitude, attitude, and and Dave Grossman. On it wasn't just about killing people. It was really face up. It was, 
it was rape of women. It was forcing prisoners to rape other prisoners. I mean, it was just the most vile and barbaric things to do. And this is a man who was celebrated. Uh, when one of them was uh, imprisoned and he was released early, one of the, the, the masterminds of the genocide, uh, there was a party held for him in, in the streets. People came out to clap for, mm. for this. This shows that therefore there's something you know, mm. very disturbing in, in the public consciousness when it comes to understanding uh, human suffering and our role as, as a kind of a human race, responsibilities and so on and so forth. Is that because, kind of a, sorry, is, is that because, were they celebrated because the, the people thought it was all fake news and they didn't really do those things or did they acknowledge they yeah, did those well, things well, but because, because they did it to it our like enemies? This culture of denial, culture of denial, you know, mm. in, 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 uh, you know in, in Serbia about whether this was really even a genocide and always kind of, you know, sent, there, mm. there was in fact a, uh, an exhibition that was put together last year, the year, year before last, uh, that, that the, the guy who did it, was a Bosnian puts an exhibition together called like 11 steps of of the genocide like lessons to be learned yeah mm. and he wants to hold this in in Brussels uh, and and it was refused you know by members of the European Parliament many of many of whom in fact were complicit in in the genocide in Bosnia uh, and uh, and then he wants to hold it in, uh, in I think in Sarajevo at the end uh, but but he was really upset because he spent like one or two years negotiating with the people in Brussels about having the exhibition, and then they refuse it. And and part of the reason why is because they said they would they didn't want to have images of Sobodan Milosevic, or 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 Maladic, no images of the perpetrators of the victims, and nor did they want to discuss the causes behind the genocide. Now, of mm. course, I mean that's the whole thing because how would you prevent a future occurrence without understanding what is the you know, what is the sickness that seeps into the human conscience that would drive people to commit acts like these? And I think that that's perhaps, perhaps it's unique in the case of the Bosnian genocide that, that I mean, if, if, we, if we compare it, for example, to like attempts at, you know, reconciliation in South Africa, for example, apartheid, or you had, uh, you know, so many things produced after the, the Holocaust, uh, Theodore Adorno, so many things. Uh, and it, it's and even saying that, of course, the rise of ultranationalism in Germany is another thing, you know. So I, I don't think yeah. uh, it's interesting. I was in Auschwitz just a few years ago and Birkenau, and we had a tour guide who was uh, taking us through Auschwitz and Birkenau, and uh, and and she's Polish, you know. And it's a it's a big group of us and big group of other Europeans with us, and uh, so she's showing. And then we were quite shocked because by the end of it, she she huddles us all together. And she says to us, you know, something. She said the fact that Syria is happening today is a proof that nobody learned a lesson from from, from Auschwitz. You know? And it's so true. It's so true. Because if you think about Syria, Iraq, I mean, Palestine, all of these theaters of, of great human suffering, um, you know, I mean, it would have just taken, you know, one, I mean, I don't know, I mean, even one example of, of a mass killing or a genocide to to awaken that human spirit, to realize that, you know what, something like this is. I mean, it's interesting that they said that after Auschwitz, never again. Uh, in fact, Theodorus Adorno's line, the first line of his article is a premier demand upon all education is never again Auschwitz. And so many kind of, you know, kind of cliched statements like that. But it's, uh, but I think it's like what well, Noam Chomsky says that there's always going to be examples of of worthy and unworthy victims. And you're going to choose, you know, your, your what side you're on. Mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, is, I think, quite unique about this conflict was 
the use of rape as a weapon of war. Right. Uh, as in, it's not unique as in it doesn't happen anywhere else. It's happened, it's happened everywhere else. But systematically placing women into rape camps, having them repeatedly gang raped, and the purpose, the stated purpose that Serbs would tell the women would be that you, you will be giving birth to the next generation of Serbs. Yeah. This kind of twisted uh, mentality of treating the women in this way to this day, uh, that trauma that exists within Bosnia is, is, is immense. And that's one part of it. The other part of it, if you speak to people who understand the Bosnian conflict and were part of it or uh, witnessed it, especially the older generation, but even some ones of the newer generation, they are very fearful that the conflict could reignite precisely because of those things that uh, Othman was mentioning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of ultra-nationalism, not yeah. just in Serbia. This is a, a phenomenon across the world. Uh, you can see it in India. America, Trump. Make ultra America great again. That's a whole... Uh... It's right across the board. And in its crosshairs um, is Islam. Islam and Muslims are in its crosshairs. Mm. You know, in, I just want to make a slightly different point. When I was in Guantanamo, I came across this dish. Uh, this dish is called uh, Moros y Cristianos, uh, which, which in Spanish means uh, Muslims and Christians. The dish is actually black beans and rice. And you can, you can, uh, you can assume that the Muslims are not the rice. Um, so the point of this is that the conquistadors, the crusaders, and those who were fighting Muslims and Islam mm. at that time, though they would have been fighting Muslims of all hues and all colors, regarded Muslims as black. Very black, you know, very, quote, to, to, uh, mm. excuse the pun, in a very black and white way. Yeah. And the point of this was to say that the rise of the far right uh, and ultra-nationalism doesn't really care what color you are, as long as you're a Muslim. Mm. If you're a Muslim, they don't care if you're white. You could be Caucasian. You know, the, the name Caucasian means white in the Western world, but the Caucasus are dominated by Muslims. Muslims. <laughs> right? That's the irony. Yeah. So they don't fit. They won't fit the, the, the label of white yeah. in, in, in the purview of these ultra-nationalists. So it's just important we remember that this, because it's now on the rise again, it is mm. very dangerous and primarily for the rest of the world, but also where the, where the, where the massacre happened itself. This isn't after World War II where the Allies... All, all, all uh, come along and occupy the place, and the Nazis cannot raise it ever again. It's quite possible uh, that this nationalism rises again. Salam guys, me again, reminding you to head over to islam21c.com forward slash donate to keep the lights on on Islam21c. We pride ourselves on being independent and being funded by the grassroots community. So, how do you um, how do you look to the past to kind of? predict or to try and stop something like that happening again? Well, you know, there's one thing, brother, I have to say. At the time, I remember it. It was, was, the, it was called the Organization of Islamic Conference. They made a statement mm -hmm. uh, threatening the Serbian government and said that if you don't withdraw your forces from all the Bosnian Muslim territory, we will respond. That was 25 years ago. They still haven't responded. Mm. And it, that was the point. So what you understood from there is the collective of the Muslim world, at best, was that threat. And if anything little, little more than that was to say, we're going to send some countries like Turkey, Pakistan, uh, Malaysia, uh, and Bangladesh, they sent their troops to become part of uh, the United Nations peacekeepers. Yeah. Peacekeepers. How do you keep peace between... Could you say you had peacekeepers when a genocide was taking place against the Holocaust was happening? How do you keep the peace? 
you, you know, and Allah says, فَقَاتِلُ الَّتِي تَغْفِي حَتَّى تَفْيَا إِلَىٰ أَمْرِ اللَّهِ فَإِنْ بَغَدْ أَحْدَاهُمَا عَلَىٰ الْأُخْرَىٰ فَقَاتِلُ الَّتِي تَبْغِي حَتَّى تَفْيَا إِلَىٰ أَمْرِ اللَّهِ That if one group transgresses against another, then fight the transgressor. And here every, the world recognizes the transgressor, but they sat back and watched whilst they had all the weaponry. And, and I remember, subhanAllah, there was one brother, um, I believe he'd been with the United Nations forces from Philippines. He saw what took place. Mm. He couldn't consciously remain as a, as a neutral peacekeeper. Mm -hmm. He left his force uh, and came back and he joined the volunteer for fighters and to, to, to imbue to them, mm. to uh, help them to, to defend themselves. Um, unfortunately, that's the world where we live in. in we, uh, the Bosnian genocide was stopped. I mean, rather, the intervention happened after Srebrenica through the United, yeah. the United States. America. The United States always takes kind of credit for this and says, look, we stopped it. And whilst it's true, they did bomb Serbian um, military posts and artillery posts and change the position of the war. The, the Dayton Peace Agreement meant uh, that anybody that had come to help before, all of those people who'd come to sacrifice their lives and so forth before, were now either to be kicked out and sent back to their countries, many of which uh, uh, arrested them, detained them, tortured them and so forth. And that's a different mm -hmm. part of the story. But the point was, it didn't empower them. They weren't strong enough and were totally reliant upon the very nations. You know, it was under Dutch United Nations that Ratko Mladic brought his force in whilst these people had fl uh, fled to Srebrenica and refuge, knowing that there's United Nations forces there, they'll be safe. And they literally walked away when they knew Ratko Mladic was there. And infamously, as you know, 8,000 men and young boys were shot dead unarmed with their hands tied behind their back. And what, that's what we're remembering to this day. What was behind the, um, the inaction of the UN troops? Uh, I think it so was a, a combination of many different things. Uh, having, either, you know, the answers on, on, the, on the, the tin, isn't it? We're peacekeepers. We're a peacekeeping force. You're not an inter They're told you can't intervene. I remember sitting with Pakistani... Uh, United Nations soldiers who were so upset, they were so upset they, um, mm. that they couldn't intervene. They said, it's not our, we don't have the orders to intervene. Um, they knew what was going on. Every single one of them knew what was going on. The Dutch knew more than anybody else what was, and what was going to take place. In fact, their complicity yet to this day has not been held, they've not been held to account under any circumstances, anybody who allows something like that to happen. That those, those men and women and children only came to Srebrenica because they believe that the Dutch would be protecting them under the United Nations. Um, so their role in this thus far, they, uh, th there were others, Canadians and so forth, involved in all sorts of uh, abuses of the, of, of the Bosnians themselves, uh, sexual uh, um, uh, exchange and favors and abuse uh, by United Nations troops. Their mandate was totally wrong. Their mandate should have been, if you're gonna intervene, you're gonna intervene uh, to, to save life, not to watch it being taken. Allah. So, yeah. historically, there's this, you know, conflict bubbling under the surface uh, during this time, the time of um, the, the breakdown of the, the former Yugoslavia. Everything's kind of uh, people feel that their their future is precarious. They they start their 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 kind of identities start to take a more primary role. I'm just trying to get the the kind of the the, the historical um, order in my head. Um, some some kind of jingoist ultra nationalists take over the the discourse publicly and begin to rally people against a common enemy 
upon which they just project all their insecurities, all of their they turn into this kind of beast and paint them with the crimes of some kind of beast in the past. Similar kind of narrative and similar um, uh, mythology, even or metaphors or discourse to the Crusades and to the Reconquista and this a kind of similar thread running through. Um, this precipitates in violence against these people. At what point does it, and, and the, the international community by and large, the UN, they're largely inact, uh, inactive. At what point does this become an, uh, a rallying call for uh, and an awakening for Muslims and Islam in this, in this story? Um, you know, for the Muslims, it was quite early on. I met a brother who'd gone, uh, there was a brother, I think it was, he'd, he'd been in uh, Afghanistan, Kashmir and so forth. He was uh, mm-hmm. uh, Saudi Arabia. And he uh, first group of volunteers from around the world to from the Muslim world to assist and help uh, and to actually physically take part in the defense of various um, Muslim towns and cities. And then it, it built up more and more. Uh, and for the Bosnian, look, one of the things that's really important that at the time of when you think that death is going to come to you, even the, the one who doesn't believe uh, starts to hope yeah. and intervention uh, a divine intervention but when you are you know you're a muslim and you whatever your level of practice is it by by definition being closer to death will bring you closer to allah it just happens everywhere you go mm-hmm. and so this was no different in bosnia and people started to turn to islam uh, people were going at the same time simultaneously some were fighting some were going to egypt to study their, their religion going to al-azhar and coming back to teach mm-hmm. the people about islam so there was a constant uh, a movement of this amongst the Bosnians and with the influx of people from around the world there was good and there was bad I have to say there was both sides there was uh, like with anything else young people with lots of zeal little understanding themselves of the being uh, pushing things that they felt were was the sole truth uh, was a problem because it caused problems between the understanding of Islam there with some of the locals according to their traditions mm. um, but there was this sense of the Muslims as individuals are coming to help and they are coming from Gambia, they're coming from Mauritania, they're coming from Pakistan, they're coming from everywhere. And they're only coming from one reason. They're helping to help us because they're our brothers in faith. And this no doubt had an effect on the Bosnians. Um, the response of the nations, as I said, there were. There's no, it would be wrong to say nations didn't help. Mm-hmm. There were nations helping with the humanitarian effort. But then so were the European nations. The European nations were helping with the humanitarian aid effort. Uh, Britain in all of this again, I have to say that the British Muslims once again um, they 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 took the bull by the horns and they started to go across on aid convoys um, right across and and it was perilous to go through some places. Going through Croatia was perilous because there was a time the Muslims were fighting mm. uh, against the Croats too. So being stopped there, I remember at, at border pro- checkpoints, uh, some brothers had the Qurans taken and thrown on the floor, guns pointed towards us. Uh, all sorts of things were happening to us. We had to pray Salat al-Khawf, um, the, 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 the fear whilst we're driving on the way to Croatia, hiding at the back, hoping that Krat, uh, we call them, they're known as the Ustasha, Krat secret police, don't don't get hold of us. And then the fear of perhaps you might just make one mistake, mistake and turn and end up in Serbian territory and, mm. and then dead. So there was all of that sort of stuff. The Muslims from Britain and elsewhere risked all of that to bring aid and support to the to the, to the beleaguered people of, of uh, Bosnia, and that tradition continued. It, it continued over. A, I remember there was one convoy alone going to Syria, just one convoy that took a hundred vehicles of food, medicine, blankets, uh, fire trucks, 
rubbish trucks, doctors, mm. uh, and all of that stuff that's still very much a British tradition that people are proud. People recognize a British contribution to this day. Even if we're called all sorts of things in, around the world, that's still something for us to be proud of. MashaAllah. It's beautiful. He said that people recognize because in reality, history only remembers the ones who are rescuers. You know? I mean, the ones who are bystanders are kind of uh, the ones that people, of course, uh, would blame for the inactivity and the state of, um, you know, uh, indifference. But the ones who are, the rescuers are the ones who are moved by that sense of human consciousness. But I think for, for the Muslims, of course, to what motivates us is going to be our sense of connection as an ummah. Allah in the Quran says, in the ikhwa, the believers are, of course, brothers. The brothers are like, the believers are like one building, one part supports the other part. You know, and it's very interesting because I think one of the one of the surahs that really, I mean, this is from before and even until now, that really uh, affected me and affects me a lot when it comes to understanding, you know, uh, human suffering, genocide like Bosnia, of course, is Surah Al-Buruj. Because Surah Al-Buruj in the Quran, I think, really outlines for us, you know, the way that something like this could happen. The, uh, the killing, extermination of a people uh, overlap with that sense of, uh, you know, indifference. So, for example, in the Quran, when Allah says, uh, mm-hmm. focus on the fact it's only made up of a few letters, a few words in the Quran in, in that surah, but it tells us so much about the psychology of, of killing and mass killing, you know, together with, with that indifference. Allah says that in this, when Allah says, Allah says when they were alayha, which is over the fire. And and he says that it wasn't that they were over the fire watching people burning alive, but he says that they were qareeboon min ta'deeb, that they were so close to the action, to, to what they're seeing of, of that torture inflicted upon the believers, that they were enjoying it. Right, that they were enjoying it. And he says that when Allah says, Allah says Qur'ud as opposed to Julus, because Julus would be that they're sitting like momentarily then leaving, but Qur'ud, they're, they're, they're resting, they're taking their enjoyment, and they're watching the roasting of skin. And I was watching an account of uh, one, one of the documentaries on, on, on the Bosnian genocide, where they said that when they, when they told the Muslims, when, when the Muslims made a run for it, they were seeking refuge in the... In the, in the in the in the in the in the Dutch uh, UN headquarters, I, I don't know the name of the place, but then they but then they ran, made a run for it to the woods, right? And then they were caught, and when they were caught, uh, the uh, the Serbs were saying like, you know, we're not going to harm you, come to safety, and X, Y, and Z, and then they told them to go into these trucks, and in the trucks, uh, they were taunting them, you know, taunting them, laughing at them, you know, and and it really just that that whole notion of of the depravity of the, of the human soul, when Allah says that's the self, consider the nafs, how it's inspired by that sense of real depravity as well as piety. And in this Allah is saying that, you know, when they're sitting over the fire uh, and, they're, and they're enjoying it, and there's been so many cases in human history for people to become spectators 
at another person's suffering. Like for when Gaza was being bombed, for example, and you had the Israelis sitting up on the mountains of Shiraz. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. Yeah, yeah and, they, and they had popcorn, popcorn, and they're mm. watching, and it's like an entertainment for them. In lynchings of black men in America, when they would, um, they made a spectacle. There's a very good book called Lynching and Spectacle by Amy Louise Wood, uh, and how you know, thousands would come together and just to watch the man, poor man being being lynched. And, and print postcards and stuff. Yeah, I mean, so many yeah. things would happen like that. And it's like, that's, uh, I think it's it's now perhaps even more because everybody is now a photographer with with a, with a smartphone. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I think that what really has to, I think what has to happen is the fact that we always remember our number one obligation upon upon Muslims because of the of the bond of Iman mm. that links us together, but also obligation towards humanity. And the fact that Allah made us of those who come to the justice, you know, come to alleviate the suffering mm. of all kinds of people, wherever they might be. But it's interesting that even in, in Surah Al-Buruj, Allah says, وَمَا نَقَمُ مِنْهُمْ إِلَّا أَنْ يُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ الْعَزِيزِ الْحَمِيدِ That they, they didn't harm them except because they believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Like Muazzam was saying, it's like, you know, they didn't have to be the best practicing Muslims. In fact, there's there's a, something I read about one of the one of the leaders of the genocide and Muslims said that, he he regarded the uh, converts to Islam, you know, from the Serbs as as a kind of um, it's almost like uh, I, I forgot the word, but it's like this um, you know uh, deformed deformed uh, human being. Like he's not fully human because mm. if he would convert to Islam, for example, but the fact that they just simply saw, well, that's a Muslim, and Muslim is existential other uh, that we have to remove. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's very, it's very powerfully reflected in Surah Al-Buruj, and Allah, of course, is mentioning the Shahid and, and Shahud at least four or five times in that surah. Uh, the fact that there's going to be those of those who witness uh, as spectators, uh, but of course, what should be our imperative is to mm. be of those who are active exactly. in, in, uh, in resisting. Muazzam mean, um, and, and Uthman, you both mentioned, you know, the the, the necessity of being rescuers, and uh, it's good that. You know, um, the 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 tradition of aid and humanitarian support is still alive. In terms of, I'm glad that, that I'm glad that you mentioned Syria, for example. But there was also another tradition that kind of, um, because of maybe legal norms and whatnot, the tr- uh, that has kind of come to an end, and that is the, the trade of people leaving their um, the comfort of their homes and going out and carrying out jihad, um, physical jihad, in in terms of you know, helping people that are being uh, slaughtered and 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 killed. Um, I mean, just from my from memory, from kind of memory. Obviously, I wasn't uh, <laughs> I wasn't around uh, at the time. But you know, you have Afghanistan people traveling from all over the world. You know, to help, including Sylvester Sloan as Rambo. You know, it was kind of it was it was acceptable. It was cool then. You know, um, to to help the mujahideen there against the Soviets. You had many Muslims traveling all from all over the world. Um, either kind of condoned by their 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 um, governments, or kind of uh, you know turning a blind eye against them, or at, against the wishes of the, the, those governments, um, traveling to Bosnia and so forth, and I mean, trying look, to. I'm sorry. I mean, like in relation to that, it's really important. One of the things that mm. motivates people the most, and especially for me, you, the verse that strikes mm. out at you, it mm. really strikes out at you if you read it with sincerity. Allah says, what's wrong with you? That means there's something wrong with you. 
what's wrong with you that you don't go out in the way of Allah and fight for those weak, oppressed men and women and children whose cry is Oh Allah, take us out from this town whose people are oppressors. And make for us one who is who will befriend us and one who will come to protect us. And this is why the people that I knew and people I went with and people I saw and have continued to see, that's what motivates them. They're not motivated by wanting to go and kill innocent people in the middle of the street. They're motivated by this intrinsic human, it's a human thing. Here in Britain, under the law, there's a, there's a, uh, acts are based upon not just acts, but omissions. If you see a child drowning, you yeah. see a child drowning in a lake and you do nothing and watch, you're culpable under the law. If you do nothing, you don't call the police, you don't, just sit and watch. Manslaughter. You're yeah. It's an omission. It's recognized. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to you, what's wrong with you? So now we're in a world today where everything's turned topsy-turvy. And mm. there's no doubt there are people that have turned it topsy-turvy. But the point is that according to the Quran, that those who don't help have got something wrong with them. Yeah. And the ones that go to help, they're, they're not the ones that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they're not equal. Um, and unfortunately, the world way it works today uh, it tries to criminalize that. Yeah. And in the absence, again, Bosnia's story is this, in the absence of the world doing nothing, the, the Bos Bosnian massacres, genocide, Srebrenica, Gorazda, the rape camps, uh, the concentration camps in Omaska and Banja Luka, all of this happened. The ethnic cleansing of hundreds of thousands of people happened because mm. there was nobody responding to Malakum. And even the world that knew that it was wrong didn't respond to it. So you're right there, brother. Unfortunately, just because certain people twist a particular uh, uh, tenet of Islam doesn't make it all of a sudden uh, uh, something that people shouldn't aspire to. Muslims would always aspire to it. Yeah. But I mean, what is the future of of um, I'm not going to say something huge like, you know, when we've got a few minutes to discuss this left, what's the future of jihad or something? But uh, in, term, you know, so in terms of, okay, so that's an example of despite the there being a, a clear kind of um, norm, right, um, that's legally mandated, there were an issue, there was, you know, a, a, an ability of people to go and travel and and um, fight, actually fight physically with guns and, 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 and so forth uh, in order to defend the people. Did that, in, in your estimation overall, did that make a, a positive difference? Uh, or do you think it, it laid down the seeds or the foundations for what we're seeing today in terms of, uh, you know, the criminalization of, of, uh, of, 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 of jihad and, and, giving, and besmirching the name of jihad and that kind of stuff? really funny is that I, I remember meeting uh, British British um, uh, United Nations uh, forces there and meeting them and talking to them and, th and they knew that you yeah. know there were different uh, Mujahideen groups and they didn't see them with uh, in a controversial way uh, essentially they you know some of the soldiers I remember speaking to one soldier said oh, you know these people are doing a great job yeah you know, these two people are doing the job that we should be doing mm. so mm. it wasn't necessary that everybody saw each other as enemies in fact people saw themselves on the same side but the future for this brother to be honest with you is is really dependent on 
on our scholars, our leaders, uh, and on our youth. Um, yeah. Just because something's legal or illegal doesn't make it moral or immoral. That's right. uh, let's remember slavery. Slavery was very legal. In fact, you know, the, I came across this f- shocking thing, brother. Mm. That the people that uh, the term rendition, rendition, you connect connected now with people like me, extraordinary rendition. Yeah, so yeah. it was first used ever in America to mm. capture by slave patrols who themselves later became policemen. Yeah, they, yeah. they later became the police force. Right. To return, return, uh... rendition back to their master. Mm. They're placed upon them something called, uh, excuse my language, this is what they call the nigger collar, mm. and it has these four spikes sticking out of it. And wow. what I what I discovered when I was in Guantanamo is that there was a, a company that made the shackles that I was wearing, and this company was called Hyatt's, and Hyatt's is in Birmingham, in, in, in Great Bar, where <laughs> I am, and they had been producing these shackles for as long as they'd been producing those same collars. Wow. wow. The same people produced them. Right. And I went to them, I went to their place because I wanted to, how, how are you still making these things? And they refused to speak to me. Alhamdulillah, within a few months, they closed up <laughs> and they went back to America and yeah. they still specialize in making shackles and they most likely mm-hmm. make shackles that, that uh, uh, George Floyd was in when he got, when he wow. was. Wow. Yeah, so these, these links, brothers, um, it's important that we remember them from, from, mm. from these kind of oppressive places. Uh, um, but just, just for the future of our, of our, first of all, we need to be reminded. Yeah. We need our ulama to tell them about the stories of those who stood up against oppression. Yeah. Our history. And uh, whilst we need to be warned about people who take it to the language, to the, to the world where that isn't Islam. Islam was never about, in fact, Islam came to stop the oppression of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on one side or the other side. But there will always be a people that will come to the defense of this religion and they will make a difference. And the Bosnians say to this day that they came, when they came, the foreigners came, they saved this. There's a famous story I remember of one of the towns um, where it's, it's reported that 10 foreign volunteers came along. A Serb army was, was coming uh, and it was these 10 foreign volunteers who fought off the old army. I don't know how much that is mythology or not, but the mm. point is that it still lives in the memory of the people there. Assalamualaikum guys, last reminder I promise, head over to islam21c.com forward slash donate to help this movement get to the next level. So we have genuine, high quality media articulating Islam in the 21st century and developing confident Muslims impacting the world for the better. I mean, it's, it's very, I mean, even growing up I had a lot of stories, uh, amazing stories like that as well, you know, of, um, of, of people showing bravery and even miracles happening, uh, you know, on, on battlefields and so forth. And it's important to keep that that um, spirit alive. Um, but I wanted to see, kind of link what, what what we've been discussing about to something recent that's been happening. And you've both issued statements about, and we've published things about Tox, Toki uh, Shiri, for example. He's been on the podcast in the past. Um, and that is, I mean, we were discussing an editorial meeting today with Islam Trinity, and that is of, see, you know, some brothers have have a connection to Afghanistan, so they, they've seen uh, members of their family. You know, with um, going from kind of um, foreign fighters, so to speak, going there and, and helping uh, in the jihad against the Soviet uh, uh, forces there, and then after they they left, after they were driven out, the kind of groups kind of turned in uh, against each other, and the the Muslim Islamic groups because of maybe reasons you can. Um, uh, uh, shed light on as well, ostensibly because of an inability to work <coughs> despite their differences and um, 
you know, uh, the, the the kind of adabal of, of ikhtilaf that Muslims should should have the, the in terms of dealing with their Muslim brothers and sisters, they kind of turned in on each other and 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 tribulations and trials started to happen. Uh, something similar in in Syria, some people are saying, you know, the different rival groups and so forth, and there's some there seems to be something with. You know, Muslims. Uh, you know, when we can't get along with each other, when we disagree with each other, we tend to whether it's on kind of online battles or refutations. And people used to be PDFs. Now the the, the trend is YouTube videos. You know, refuting uh, this person, that person. So the the honor of the Muslims has become cheap uh, in, on the online space. You know, refuting people here and there and, and slandering and so forth. But when you're when you're in a position like that, then the blood of, of your fellow Muslim can become. Uh, Unsafe as well, you know, because it's just like the online sphere, but there's guns and 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 uh, power and 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 uh, you know resources involved as well. So uh, I'm trying to formulate into this uh, in this into a question, but the, it brings up so many other questions. You know, is this something specific to Muslims? Is this uh, are we seeing something similar happening in Syria as was happening in Afghanistan? Um, what's your what's your analysis of this in terms of? Uh, I don't want to you know. Yeah, so this is a subject away from from this. I mean, Srebrenica is part of that, but it's 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 away from this because it's a bar, it's a bigger picture. Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, I, I'm speaking regularly to Tox's family and and people over there in Syria and, and trying to push to try to get them get him released. And mm-hmm. indeed, it is part of the inability of the the Jamaat, the different Muslim groups, to to unify uh, that has caused this. Uh, but unity in and of itself now is they don't even understand what that means. Um, because you put two, unfortunately, uh, scholars in one particular place, and they come out with 15 different opinions, and this this is a major problem. Actually, when you take Afghanistan, it's quite different. Mm-hmm. Afghanistan, though it had groups at the time of the Soviet occupation, there were some. By the end of the occupation, and one of the reasons why the Taliban came about was to get rid of uh, all of the warlords that came as a result of of that occupation and, and the, the vacuum left therein. Mm-hmm. The Taliban have remained essentially under one structure and one uh, hierarchy of leadership and that hasn't changed and they haven't dissipated into multiple groups which you could expect being under the occupation of the most powerful forces in the world repeatedly mm. and they have dropped the most powerful convention weapon conventional weapons uh, 25000 pound repeatedly dropped on Afghanistan even experimental ones yeah i've seen yeah. some of the i saw the 15000 pound ones i mm. saw those with my eyes so imagine these are like, you know, many more times than that. Despite all of this, it didn't shake the unity. And there is a history to that. Then there's a, a cultural, religious perspective. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we have to recognize it. Because in the other places, whether you look at from Algeria to Chechnya to Bosnia or wherever such foreigners came and even Syria and a particular vision of Islam mm. and unity uh, manifested itself, you have seen repeatedly one after the other again and again the inability to unify the inability to become under one central command the inability and then what happens is that every single time it may sound and look very good and it does but the end results every single time have been that not only the defeat but also the dissipation and the change that people who were once something are now the total opposite and that has had a massive effect. And unfortunately, the lessons haven't been learned because they've not been taught. And we've been mis- I, I, I say we have been mistaken in not teaching them that. 
the Prophet ﷺ said, Well, here we've been uh, hit so many times by the same thing, and it's repeated itself again and again. In what, fact, it what says, are these what lessons? Positive story, I would say, out of all of this, it's Afghanistan. In that, uh, I mean, you can call it positive, even though thousands, tens of thousands of people have died. Unfortunately, that's how we call positive. In that, they remained firm, they remained steadfast, they were clear on what they wanted. Uh, they opposed 9/11. They had nothing to do with it. They even asked for uh, international lawyers or for uh, Bin Laden to be sent to a third party where Islamic law would judge uh, what what he had done or not. Mm. Um, and that he, they say he acted outside their jurisdiction, and, and they were right. But they had the right, the intrinsic international legal right to defend themselves from foreign occupation, which is what they did until now, when they negotiated with the Americans and said, "We will talk with the Afghan government." Only once you, the occupier, leave. But we that, want to have good relations with you. We want to have a good relation with everybody, yeah. but not on occupation. But that was that was after they were uh, attacked, right? So when somebody is attacked, <coughs> excuse me, that naturally uh, makes people kind of to get along. Uh, you know, put their differences aside and and so, find a common you, enemy, right? So. Unfortunately, in a pl in many places, that's not what's happening. In yeah. Syria, not what's happening. Um, and you'd think so. That's a logical thing, right, to think. That's what happened in Afghanistan under the Soviet occupation. The various groups, mm. they got together and they fought. Um, but, yeah, that, we have a problem, brother. And maybe perhaps Sheikh Uthman can tell us yeah. what it is, that, that, what are those problems that don't allow us to unite when, under the Soviet Well, it's, it's like what you said, uh, Brother Muslim, about when you said to uh, Salman about that was a logical <laughs> thing. It reminded me of a hadith when, when the Prophet said that to Sahaba, you will fight and kill one another. Sahaba, they said, Ya Rasulullah, You know, would we have our minds, our sanity on that day? I mean, this shows, therefore, they're thinking, they couldn't envisage a time where that could happen. I mean, would we be sane, thinking people, yeah. when that happens, you know? Uh, and the Prophet said that, you know, you would lose your minds on, on, in those times. And I think that, like you said, I mean, we're seeing uh, everything, of course, has has effects. The Prophet said that, that you know, unity is... Um, is rahmah and and tafarraq is adab and division is punishment and we don't know what that punishment means of course because it could manifest in different ways and ways we're seeing may allah protect all of us from it but i think that the seeing the fruits of unity and us embodying that in our communities uh, would inspire the next generation to see that this is how muslims should live uh, as opposed to living divided and they were all you know, enemies of one another. We seek refuge with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. We ask Allah, of course, for, you know, for um, for ease in all affairs. And Allah brings us. Uh, this the Prophet of Allah Subhanahu wa said that the, you know, he said that the um, the Imam is a shield, al Imam Jannah, behind which the Muslims fight and protect themselves. And we ask Allah for you know for that assistance from Him Subhanahu wa Taala. Yeah. I mean, that was that. Muslim, you mentioned we failed in um, kind of imparting those those lessons. So one of them is the the importance of the unity and the wala of the Muslims that that they should have for one another. The the allegiance Muslims should have for one another. Don't let these relatively uh, minor um, compared to you know what what bonds you. Those relatively minor things get uh, in the way of genuine. Um, Cooperation and unity in the face of a threat. Are there any other lessons from from this that we can, from the tox issue, from the what you said about the 
you know, Chechnya, Bosnia, and 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 all of those um, uh, lessons about this. You know, uh, my conclusion is what I've seen. Everybody wants to live free. Mm. You know, there's the famous saying of Amr al-Khattab, who's reportedly to have said one of the the, the Umara, uh, that when did you enslave people when their mothers gave gave them birth as free men, free people? And freedom here is the free the types of freedom uh, that people seek in the Muslim world. It's already present in the Western. World. Let's, we've got to put our hands up to it. That freedoms exist. Those freedoms of uh, expression, thought, uh, and freedom not to be persecuted. And I'm saying somebody who's been persecuted by the Western nations. Uh, I know the kind of persecution that in our world. People want to get rid of it somehow. But you yeah. have to be exceedingly <clears throat> careful that in seeking to get rid of oppression, you don't become an oppressor yourself. You can't use oppression to get rid of a, 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 a oppression and then become what is it that you... You know, it's the famous saying yeah. of Amr al-Mukhtar that they are not my teachers. SubhanAllah. He's yeah. fighting against an occupation force and people are saying to him, why don't you do that which they do to you? He said, they're not my teachers. So this is, the, this is what we're missing. We've missed it. We've missed uh -huh. it because what happens is that we keep asking for <laughs> We keep asking for uh, Allah's attributes. Oh, ya Rabbi, minhum. oh Allah, get our vengeance. Oh, vengeance, uh, one of vengeance, take vengeance from them. Our religion is the one of which Rasulullah fights in every battle, 28 battles and, and Sarai. And he says that if I was able to, if it wouldn't harm other people and they get hurt, I'd wish to go in battle, fight, get killed, be brought back to life, fight. He'd love, he, he, he'd love to defend his people. But even then, his mercy was this, that at the Battle of Uhud, when, the, when Sayyid al-Shuhada, the, the, the Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib is killed by an assassin, by Wahshi's spear, and then his insides are cut out and liver is eaten. Rasulullah what does he do? With those people who did it. When he enters Mecca as a victor, he says, La There's no vengeance upon you this day, for you are free. Yeah, and people entered Islam. You may be able to bring, bring, if you have a twisted version of Islam, and try to force people to come to Islam by the sword. Maybe some people might come for a short time. The moment they'll get an opportunity, they'll run. But when you do it the way Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi they enter the Islam in droves and they'll never leave it. Mm. And that's what we, we my, I tell my brothers, I used to tell them in Syria, I used to tell them in Afghanistan, I used to tell them, I wasn't knowledgeable enough in Bosnia to know it, but by that time I was in Syria, I, I had enough experience. Say, brothers, please do not become like this. Do not mm. come here trying to impose your vision of what you think of how much you know Islam on people who've been uh, at the forefront of Islam for, for generations. Well, you'll mm. turn people who love you into turn people mm. into people who end up hating you. And that's unfortunately what happened. They didn't take the lessons mm. and they did the very same thing. And that's why somebody like Tox can be taken, a humanitarian aid worker who's been there for eight years of his life, mm. who is known for uh, orphanages, for building villages for orphans and refugees, for building schools uh, teaching them English and teaching them Arabic, teaching them, uh, um, bringing teachers and doctors and, and doing all of that. And in a moment, he can be taken at gunpoint uh, by hooded and masked gunmen. Yeah.
So I mean, in essence, the the, the issues of tarbiyah and maturity to um, to follow the Sunnah of the Prophet in so far as being careful how you act when you have the upper hand as well. You know? Especially, uh, yeah, especially when you have the upper hand. Subhanallah. There's know? a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing um, in Surah An-Naml. You know, it's about you know. So it's a really beautiful. It's like if you think about, you know, transitioning through space or landscapes, like you're entering into a new land. Uh, on the one hand, you have Sulaiman Allah in the Quran says, You know, gathered before Sulaiman were his army of humans and jinn and birds, and they're all arranged, all assembled. What comes to your mind, of course, is power, isn't it? Power, kingdom, might, civilization. But you don't always stay in that state. And so the next verse, Allah says, until they come to the valley of the ants. And the chapter is called the chapter of the ants. And the valley is, is a lower space. You enter into new spaces. You encounter new people. And, and there are people who are, I mean, of course, the ants are small and minuscule. You can't see them. But but they have a place. Moses says, beautifully said that people want freedom. Reminded me when he was saying it about uh, in W.E.B. Du Bois's Souls of Black Folk, this line he says, Dum vivimus vivamus, which means <laughs> while we live, let us live. <laughs> while we live. I laughed because I read that book in Bagram. <laughs> I read it in Bagram as a prisoner. Yeah, <laughs> you remember that line then? Uh-huh. Why we live, let us live. <laughs> and so, and then he says that the, the female uh, and spoke and says, you know, uh, uh, enter your aunt, you don't want someone to crush you. Now, what emerges is quite amazing because after all this happens, the makes his dua to Allah, Rabbi, and it goes on. Uh, then, of course, the hoodhood is missing, the hoopoo is missing, and Suleiman is enraged, and he says, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to slaughter him, uh, unless it comes with an excuse, you know, and then when the bird comes and says, I, I, I've, I've seen something from, you know, Bilqis, and they worship the sun and everything. Uh, when he sends the letter to uh, Bilqis, Bilqis then asks her nobleman and says, Aftuni fi amri, what do you think I should do? And they say to her, why are you stressing over Suleiman? We have power. And then she says, uh, Now, it's interesting when she says that when kings enter a place, they, they ruin it and they turn the noble ones into inferiors. Ibn Abbas says, When it says, He says, Allah is saying, that's oh, how they do it. <laughs> he, says, he says, call the rub. Allah is saying, Allah is affirming. That's just how kings tend to do things. I mean, that's what they do. Uh, and so it's really interesting the fact that Suleiman, I mean, the whole principle of living by that highest sense of ideal and justice, when, when the Surah Hadin recaptures Al-Quds, they had engraved on the gates of Al-Aqsa the ayah uh, that, I mean, there is a there is a there is a standard you're supposed to live by as Muslims, you know, when you come into power in terms of your dealing with the people and showing of, of Islam and so on and so forth. But it's uh it's interesting, you know, we ask Allah for for aid and tawfiq. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean. Subhanallah. I mean it reminds me of this quote somebody mentioned today in our meeting by Mulana Maududi, Rahimahullah. And uh it's a bit um, controversial maybe, a bit uh, frank. But he said uh, he's talking about why certain groups, they uh, the Muslims won't get victory through them, right? 
Um, and he said Allah does not give izzah to certain individuals or groups as Allah doesn't want Islam to be distorted through their stupidity. Mm. <laughs> so when yeah. they're in power and they you know, start oppressing people or start doing silly things, Allah doesn't yeah. want Islam's name look, to look be... At, look at this, just reminding me yeah, very quickly because I need to leave, I have a class at six. But yeah. you know, if you think about this, about the verse, what like in, in Surah An-Naml, Maybe, I mean, amongst the Makkans before the Prophet came back in Fatul Makkah and he says, mm. Maybe in the minds of some Makkans, they would have thought, maybe because they're, they're kind of uh, they're hearing propaganda against Islam, against Muslim, and they would have felt a genuine sense of fear. Um, you know, when, when the Prophet came into Makkah, Abu Bakr's, Abu Bakr, he brought, Allah, peace with him, he brought his father to come see the Prophet, mm. uh, Abu Qahaf, Qahafa, you know, and he brought him out and, uh, and he's bringing the old, and he's old man. Uh, and then the Prophet sees him bringing his father, the old man, to come and see him. And the Prophet says to Bakr, he says to him, he said, If only you left the old man in his home, so I could have gone out to see him. And Abu Bakr says, no, Ya Rasulullah, he has more of a need to see you. Of course, Abu Bakr's statement is true. And then he says, And then the Prophet, not saying sit down, he sat him down before him. Then he wiped over his chest and then he said, Now submit to Allah for Aslam. Then he submitted. I mean, the prophetic method is perfect. So, Lord Salam, I mean, this is how Allah. we need to learn. Allah, Allah give us the fiqh. Allah, I mean, that's, that, that tells you, doesn't it? From uh, And this is how the Rasulullah was against those uh, with people who were mushrikeen, who associated partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it seems now. Then Muslims amongst each other can't even offer that kind of mercy and rahmah to offer to such people. Subhanallah. <coughs> um, well, I, I, I'm conscious of the time, brothers. Zakna uh, khairan. Really appreciate for, uh, you uh, joining us in this podcast. Zakna um, khair, Dr. Uthman. Zakna khair, Sheikh. Uh, Uthman and Sheikh uh, Beg as well. Zakna khairan for. Uh, you guys watching at home as well um, Remember to uh, If you like this podcast Give it a like and a share And, and, and spread the news And uh, some of our important um, Content coming out About the Srebrenica uh, Massacre and genocide um, We're very thankful to uh, Uthman Latif and uh, Mozenbeg For joining us uh, And uh, thankful to you again So please do uh, remember to like And uh, like and subscribe and share this um, Get us, Let us know what you thought in the comments And also we're uh, available. All of these podcasts should be available on wherever you find your podcast, uh, at Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Castbots, and so forth. And that's it for me. So until next time, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh.